We're in still in Matthew chapter 3. We've been talking about John the Baptist and his ministry. And as you will recall, what we covered so far is the fact that he showed up preaching in the wilderness. And all of Judea came out to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. And this became like the thing to do. All of the, the, uh, all of the common folk were doing it. And at the time, the leadership of uh, the Jews, the religious leadership, as it were, the Sanhedrin, was made up of what can be most closely described from today's standards as two political parties. That's not exactly how it worked. Back in their time, there was no separation really between uh, the political life and the religious life. Your your life was your religious life. Like, for unfortunately, for so many um, Christians and and Jews even and Muslims and so forth. I mean, they. They go to church, they go to synagogue, they go to um, uh, their, you know, various places of worship on the days that they're supposed to go, and they do, they go through the motions, and then they come out, and then they go about their business. In, in Jewish life, that's not how it works. Your life was your religion. You lived your life consistent with your religion, or at least you were supposed to. And this is actually where we get into what John tells them here in just a little bit. In uh, verse 7, we left off from verse 6. We're going to go to verse 7. But when he saw, that's John, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism... And the reason that they were coming for baptism was because, well, everybody else was. And because it was the popular thing, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to do it to show that, hey, we're, we're just like you guys. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're just like everybody else, you know, so that they could remain popular and so that they could still maintain the support of the people. And if this is something that the people were doing, if this was the latest thing then they were going to do it too. And that's the way they viewed it. They viewed this going to John to be baptized as the, the latest thing to do, the latest trend. There was also a portion of it where they were going to find out, is this John character another fellow who is claiming to be the Messiah and might potentially lead a revolt against the Romans and therefore cause us problems politically with the Romans. So, again, back to verse 7. But when he saw the many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down 
and thrown into the fire. I'm going to take this bit by bit here. The Pharisees and Sadducees, this is the first mention of them in the Gospels. They were the Jewish religious leadership of the time. Pharisees means separated ones, and Sadducees means righteous ones. After the exile, well, after the return uh, from exile, from Babylon, when Israel became established again uh, after uh, the exile from Babylon, a group of godly men called Hasidim, or saints, uh, rose up. And they wanted to return to the reverence of God that was lost during the exile to Babylon. Unfortunately, what happened was that this group uh, descended into legalism of sorts. And they started to create traditions that... uh, originally were supposed they were they were created to help them to follow the law but these traditions started to take precedence become equal to and then take precedence over even the law <clears throat> and of course these traditions ultimately ended up being designed to benefit those who were making them. Now, these traditions and so forth were taught over a period of 400 years to the Jews. And they had to follow these. You see, the concept is, well, in order that you don't violate the law, we're going to create this rule and so that you don't violate the law. And and if you follow this rule, then you definitely won't violate the law. And so that you don't violate this rule, so that you don't violate the law, we're going to create another rule to protect you from violating the first rule, so that you don't violate the law. And so that you don't violate this second rule, we're going to make a third rule to keep you from violating the second rule, to keep you from violating the first rule, to keep you from violating the law, and so on and so on and so forth, layer upon layer, until the rules became just as important as the law. Because after all, we created these rules so that you don't violate the law. Therefore, our rules that we created, our traditions that we created, are just as important as the law. Those were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ones who had all of these traditions and kept all of these traditions and told the people that if you keep these traditions, then you will be righteous and considered righteous by God. And these are the people that you will find draw the most ire from Jesus in his ministry. The Sadducees were secular 
in nature. They were secular Jews. They were cultural Jews. They did not really believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in the soul. They did not believe in a resurrection or an afterlife. They did not believe in angels. Rather, they viewed these traditions and the law as just good ways to live and uh, a, a moral, uh, moral teachings that lead to a civil society. And that's the reason we follow them. And that's the reason they were actually created is because uh, uh, our ancestors created these laws and this myth of angels and a God and resurrection and so forth. Um, those were all created to, uh, to, to create a, a civil society and a good way to live, a, a way to live that, that makes us better than all of the other uh, nations around us. So these were the secular Jews. What's really interesting is both of these organizations still exist today, even in Christian churches. You see, there are Christian churches who teach that, that, who, that who have traditions, and that they teach that these traditions are just as important as the Bible. And there are uh, churches who, who, who teach legalism and, and that if you follow certain rules, then you will be saved and you will get to, to live with God. And then you have secular Christians. I'm not kidding when I tell you that uh, years ago, when my dad was a young preacher, he was actually told by somebody in a church, well, you don't have to believe in Christ to be a Christian. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. But there are Christians, so-called Christians out there, people who go to church, who believe that, that Christianity was, was, is just actually a construct of a bunch of moral teachings uh, by this guy, Jesus, if they even uh, believe that Jesus existed, this, this moral teacher, Jesus, who is, you know, uh, like any other moral teacher, like Buddha, like Muhammad, like Confucius, who came up with a bunch of teachings, and these teachings were suitable to be the foundation of a civil society. And so these are secular Christians. These groups exist right now. And that is why these teachings are still relevant right now. Because if you are a legalist, you are wrong. Jesus taught against legalism. As a matter of fact, like I said, Jesus's teachings were mostly directed against the legalists of his time. Equally, 
if you are a secular so-called Christian, and when I tell you this, when I say so-called, it's because if you are a secular person who goes to a Christian church, you are not a Christian. You are not a Christian. Christian, the I-A-N at the end of the word Christian means belonging to. You are not a Christian. You do not belong to Christ if you do not believe in Christ as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as God in the flesh, who died and rose again and paid the price for your sins. If you do not believe that, if you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, you are not a Christian. Period. End of sentence. You may be a Christist, a Jesusist. I don't know. There's, I'm sure, some word, some stupid word that we could come up with to describe the stupidity of the idea that you can be a Christian without believing in Christ, but you're not a Christian. At any rate... So we've got these two two groups um, within the leadership that make up the leadership of the uh, Jewish people at the time. And they have come not only to get baptized by John because it's the cool thing to do, and all the other people are doing it, and so in order for us to remain popular, we have to do it too, to show all the other folks, hey, ah, we're just like you, you know. Uh, they're also coming out to check John out and make sure that he's not another troublemaker that is going to give them grief by leading a rebellion against the Romans, which was something that was happening quite frequently at the time. So that's who those two groups were. John refers to them as a brood or children of vipers. They knew exactly what this meant. Now, there are Christians out there, legalists out there, who uh, have trouble listening to uh, folks like myself, preachers like myself, who occasionally use colorful language. In my regular podcasts, in my uh, in my videos, occasionally I will use some sailorly language in order to emphasize certain points, and immediately legalist Christians will, will close their ears to the rest of the message because I have offended their tender sensibilities. Uh, let me assure you that if you are that kind of uh, Christian, you may feel free to ignore my message. Uh, but right here, John is using exactly that kind of language. He is using very colorful language because when he refers to them as a brood of vipers, he's actually, from Jewish terms, saying even worse than calling them sons of bitches. But that's basically the equivalent here. You sons of bitches, who warned you to flee 
from the wrath to come. But it's even worse than sons of bitches, because when he refers to them as vipers, you see, he has appeared as an Old Testament prophet after 400 years of silence a prophet has arrived and he uses a term the term viper the term viper was frequently used in the old testament to signify enemies of god it referred to the philistines it referred to the egyptians enemies of God. So he is calling the Pharisees and Sadducees right out in public in front of everybody. He's calling them the children of those enemies of God. He is appearing as an ancient prophet, and he is using the terminologies of the ancient prophets to refer to the Pharisees and Sadducees as enemies of God. And he's doing this right out in front of all these other people. See, the people that the Pharisees and Sadducees have come down to impress, to show them, yeah, see, we're one of you, John calls them out immediately and says to them and uses language of an ancient prophet. So everybody... Everybody within earshot heard and understood what he was saying when he called them a brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? This is another thing that Christians, especially secular-type Christians, cultural Christians, Christists, whatever you want to call them who aren't really Christians— the, they preach this candy-coated counterfeit Christ who is accepting and loving and diverse and, and, and will accept everybody. And, and it, it, it's okay. You just come at... No, 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 no. No, no. There is a wrath coming. Okay? There is only so far that you can offend God before you are going to be punished. There is such a thing as sin, and there is such a thing as consequence, and there will be a judgment of those sins. Verse 8, Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So he's been preaching repentance, and he's been baptizing those who admit their sins openly and who want to repent. And if you want to repent, folks, if you truly repent, if you change your way of thinking, if you direct your heart towards God, and this is not saying, this is not legalism here. Legalism states that you must stop sinning. And anytime you sin, you are at risk of losing your salvation. Your salvation 
is incumbent upon your ability to follow the rules. Your ability to make Jesus the Lord of your life. This is called Lordship Salvation, which is taught by evangelists even now, and it is a lie. It is the same legalistic lie that the Pharisees taught. If you follow the rules, then you will be saved. There is no such thing, ladies and gentlemen, as salvation through Jesus and doing this and not doing that. There's no such thing as Jesus and salvation. It is only Jesus. You're only saved through Jesus. If you could follow the rules, if you could, through your own efforts, do what was necessary, then there wouldn't be a need for Christ. So be very careful that you do not follow the Pharisees of this day and fall into legalism. Legalism is a lie. You are not saved through legalism. You are saved through Christ and Christ alone. That is all, nothing else. However, and this is not to say, however, you must do this. When you actually direct your heart towards God, when you confess that you are not perfect, that you are a sinner, that you have fallen short of the glory of God, of perfection, when you openly acknowledge that in your head and you admit that and you realize that you do require a Savior, then when you direct your heart towards God, God will work in your life. God will produce fruit through you not because of anything that you have done, but because of who he is. You will produce fruit. This is, and, and, and don't think that this is, this is, this applies anywhere. When you direct your heart, when you direct your mind in a certain direction, regardless of what it is, you will produce fruit that is indicative of the direction of your heart. When, uh, to put things in a, a, a uh, let's put this in the light of when I decided that I was going to get fit again. After I left the military, for a long time I stayed fit. And then I started to slack off, and I became a worthless civilian puke. Uh, no offense to you civilian pukes out there, because if you haven't been there, then you can't be expected to stay there. I earned my Eagle Globe and Anchor as a Marine hospital corpsman, and I was actually a Semper Fit 
fitness and nutrition instructor. Okay. But after I got out, several years after I got out and I let myself go, I remember getting on the scale and I got, I was at, uh, 196 pounds. And I realized, and I know for a lot of you, that's not a big deal. For me, it was a big deal. And I realized I was about to break 200 pounds. And this, the, the reason that this was a big deal is because this was 196 pounds of flab, 196 pounds of fat. And so I decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't want to be like that anymore. And so I decided I was going to get fit. I directed my heart in the direction of fitness that I wanted to get back into fighting shape. And so that's what I did because that's the direction my heart was. My heart truly was directed in that direction. I was doing things that were indicative of that's the direction that my heart is because I wanted to. And because I wanted to, I got fit. I lost weight. Then I started to put weight back on, but it was muscle and not fat. Now, I didn't do this because somebody was legalistically telling me, oh, you got to get fit. Oh, you, you're good. You know, this, that, or the other thing. I did it because I wanted to. I directed my heart in that direction. And my actions were a result of the direction of my heart because I wanted to. Similar situation here. If you actually truly repent, if you realize that what you are doing is wrong and you want to go in a different direction, then you direct your heart in that direction. Now, here's the thing. In both of these cases, in the case of me getting fit again and the case of salvation, I attribute my ability to get fit again to God's grace. I did not do it in and of myself because in me there is nothing good. God directed my heart. He directed my mind. He told me, you're getting fat, and if you keep going this direction, you're going to get worse, and things are going to get bad. If you break the 200 mark, then things are going to get really bad. You're already having health problems. You need to change. And through my help, through my motivation, you will be able to do that. And so I repented. I changed the way I was living. I didn't do it. God did it. But I realized that I needed to. I realized I needed to change. I was sinning against myself, against my family, and against God. And Jesus was like, okay, you have truly repented. And now let's go get fit. Uh, there's a lot of you out there who are just screaming and da, 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 da. I get that. No, whatever. 
That's the way it is. That's the way it was with me. <laughs> if I had tried, and I had tried multiple times to do it myself, and I failed because I just didn't have it. But when I truly repented, I prayed about the situation through Christ, I was able to get fit to change my life. That's what's going on here. That's what he is suggesting here. You must bear fruit or you will bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. So he's telling these Pharisees and Sadducees, these folks here who have come down, they are admitting that they are sinners. They, are, they truly believe that what they have been doing is wrong. And they have directed their hearts towards God. And because they have confessed their sins, because they have admitted and truly believe that they are wrong, God is going to enter their lives and help them change their lives. He is going to change their lives. He's going to work through them and in them. Because their repentance was real. What you guys are doing is just playing the part. And what will prove that is juxtaposing them to you because they will bear fruit. They will bear fruit because their roots are now in God. You will not bear fruit because your roots are not in God. And we're going to get even closer to this because it says right here, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. You see, one of the beliefs that was taught over that 400 years to the Jews was that just simply because we are children of Abraham, we will be able to partake in the earthly rule of the Messiah and the Messiah's kingdom. We will be saved because, simply because we are children of Abraham. And, and this came from this one part of the Hebrew text that said that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. And so the way they figured it was kind of cool by association. We've got salvation through association. We're going to partake in the Messiah's kingdom because we're children of Abraham. So their roots, they were counting on their actual roots, their, their genetic roots, to allow them to partake in the earthly rule of the Messiah. There's no such thing as cool by association. There's no such thing as salvation by association. This is another fallacy that is taught by so very many churches out there today. Just because you go to, a, go to church does not make you saved. There is no such thing as corporate salvation. 
just because you go to a particular denomination does not make you saved. Just because you go to a particular church within a particular denomination does not make you saved. What makes you saved is your personal belief in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Jesus does not do group rates. Okay? Jesus does personal, individual salvation. That is all. Nothing else. It, Jesus doesn't care what church you go to. He doesn't care what denomination. He doesn't care, care how you do communion, whether you use one cup or whether you use multiple cups. He doesn't care if you use a King James Bible versus another translation of the Bible. He doesn't care. That is not what saves you. What saves you is what these people were doing. Real repentance. Real belief in the need for a Messiah. And real belief that Jesus is that Messiah. If you don't have that individually, you are not saved. You are not a Christian. I've said this many times. The saddest words I have ever heard in my life is, I hope I'm saved. This is how you get saved. If you want to be saved, this is how you get saved. You don't get saved by going to a particular type of church. You do not get saved by following a particular group of traditions. You get saved by repenting from your sin, by realizing that you are a sinner, acknowledging what those sins are, and acknowledging that you can't stop sinning yourself. You cannot stop sinning in and of your own accord. That you need a Savior who is God, and that Jesus is that Savior. That is the only way to salvation. That's it. It sounds difficult, but it's not. There's a reason that you that that you'll that this sounds familiar because these are the first steps within your average twelve step group. And these are the steps that the twelve step groups were originally founded on. Now the twelve step groups that currently exist have wandered away from their roots. In Christianity, they have, have, have watered down the message in hopes of bringing in more people, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. 
watering the message down does not work. And so very many churches out there right now are doing the same thing with their counterfeit candy-coated Christ. They are watering down the message in the hopes of, oh, we're going to bring more people in and save more people. If you are saving people with a false Christ and a false gospel, then those people are not being saved. You're not saving anybody. Christ doesn't do group rates. Verse 10, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. If you count on your roots your genetic roots as, as, as descendants of Abraham, you're going to get cut down. The axe is already at the base of that tree. Likewise, if you count on your participation in a particular church, in a particular denomination, just by reading a particular type of Bible or any other type of tradition. If that's what you're counting on for salvation, the axe is already laid at the root of that tree. And that tree, when it gets cut down, he makes two analogies to food here. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, any tree that does not bear good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Then in verse 12, his winnowing fork, his, Jesus's winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. Now he's talking about wheat. What they did in threshing floor is they, they harvested the wheat, they put it on this big floor, this big, great big flat floor, and they beat the wheat with a thresher. And in doing that, it separated the kernels of wheat, the edible kernels of wheat, from the chaff, which was, you know, the what uh, enclosed the wheat while it was growing. It was like the skin that, that protected the fruit of the wheat. And they beat the wheat after it had dried. They beat the wheat so that it would separate the actual fruit of the wheat from the chaff. The fruit was good to be eaten. And the chaff, not being good for food, was good for fuel for the fire. 
So we've got two allusions here to uh, food. If you do not produce good fruit, then you will be thrown into the fire. And in this particular case, it is an unquenchable fire. It is a fire that never ends. It is a fire of eternity. Folks, this candy-coated, counterfeit Christ that is being preached all over the place right now, it's being preached by these mega churches that are more interested in counting noses and nickels than they are in actual salvation. It is also being preached by the woke cult and the pride cult. That, that eh, you know, there's Jesus is okay with everything and everything's okay. Jesus came to accept everybody and, and he's, he's the counter to the, the Old Testament God. And, 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 and there are some people that even teach that he's a different God from the Old Testament God. And he's the good God. And that, you know, he'll, he'll accept every... No, folks, no. No. Jesus is the same God as the Old Testament God. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. The law hasn't changed. The law that God created, that God gave to Moses, is the same law that Jesus is teaching in the New Testament. Same law. But he came to fulfill it. He came to make folks understand that because it is impossible for you as a human individual who is sinful to follow the law perfectly, that is what the law was created for. It was created to show you what perfection is supposed to look like, and it is created to show you that you cannot achieve it yourself that you must rely on God, on Christ, to be that perfection for you. you got to understand this, folks. There's no difference between Jesus Christ and the Old Testament God. He's not changing the message. He's not changing the rules. He is showing you the way. He is the way, the way, the life, the truth. Nobody comes to God except through him. The Pharisees counted on their own righteousness them following their rules. That was going to get them into the kingdom of heaven. The Sadducees counted on the fact that they were descended from Abraham to get them into heaven. They didn't believe in heaven, but to to get them into the, the, the kingdom, the Messiah's kingdom. Both of them were counting on things that would not get them in. 
And John was telling them that. And I'm telling you that. All right, next time we will get into the baptism of Jesus himself, starting in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3. I want to thank you very much for listening. If you want to catch my take on the way that things are happening politically and in pop culture, uh, I view all of these through a biblical lens. And if you want to hear my take on those things that are currently happening in politics and pop culture, you can catch my videos on bitshoot.com, B-I-T-C-H-U-T-E.com, odyssey.com, O-D-Y-S-E-E.com, and rumble.com. And, of course, my regular podcast, Doc Bryant Show. You can get anywhere you can get podcasts, except for Apple. And I just found out that Stitcher is going out of business, apparently. So you won't be able to hear me on Stitcher, but you won't be able to hear anybody on Stitcher. So there you go. Once again, I want to thank you very much for listening. I will be praying for you. Thank you all very much. And I will talk to you all later.